Hi, I'm Jared Murphy from City Limits. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And welcome to the Max and Murphy podcast. We're very pleased to be joined today by Eric Phillips, the press secretary for Mayor de Blasio. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us, Eric. So uh, in our quick Facebook Live video, you told us a little bit about who you are, where you came from, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert for those that didn't <laughs> see the video. Um, you're the press secretary. Can you just sort of tell us what that means and what that means that you do and sort of how you approach that job? Sure. I think the principal job of the press secretary and of the press office in City Hall is to get information both to uh, members of the media, but also to the public broadly. Um, we obviously do that in a variety of ways. Some of them use the mayor and his day-to-day -day activity. Some of them are much more routine interactions with the press corps and with the public. Um, we manage a team in City Hall of 10 uh, deputy press secretaries, um, who then all, uh, in conjunction with others, manage uh, agency press staff and things like that to coordinate both the incoming and outgoing uh, communications of City Hall, but also of the dozens of agencies and staff that we have throughout the city bureaucracy. So that's kind of the job in a nutshell. I think most importantly, it's to um, have sort of an open dialogue with uh, members of the New York City Press Corps. And your managing flow of information, your principal job, at least in theory, is helping provide information, but you're also sort of trying to manipulate press coverage, right? I don't think there's any doubt that we're trying to tell the story of city government. I think we tell it accurately and without bias. Um, I think typically uh, folks would assume that government would manipulate information. I don't think it's true. Um, I, I didn't think, say information. Yeah. I said press, pre manipulate press coverage. Uh, I think we're trying to tell a story about how city government works. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, we believe it works pretty well. So I think the story inherently from our version of the truth is going to be uh, a good one. But there's times when it's not. And I think we're candid when city government screws up. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say in a city like New York or in a city hall like this one that it's all roses uh, all the time, for sure. What do you think? I mean, talking about telling stories, so the narrative of the mayor's first three in years and change Obviously, highs, lows, ups and downs, uh, rough spots and good spots. If you had to sum it up into a narrative, what do you think yeah. the story of the de Blasio era so far has been? Right now, I think it's that a progressive, um, a guy who I don't think anybody would doubt is um, significantly on the left of the political spectrum, um, has been able to more than effectively steward um, a city's finances, infrastructure, public safety apparatus, um, in a very uh, effective way. Um, I think a lot of people thought he was coming into office as an ideologue who couldn't manage and the city would be awash in crime, chaos, and financial uh, dysfunction in a matter of moments, and the absolute opposite has happened. Um, and I think that's kind of the big shocker to sort of the cynics or the critics probably. Um, it's not a shocker to people who know him and to people who are involved in the operation, of course. Um, but listen, the city uh, has more jobs than any time in its history. More affordable housing is being built than any time in its history. The crime rate's lower than ever. Grad rates, graduation rates in high school are the highest ever. Um, you take those four things right there and you're summing up a city that's in really, really, really good shape. Speaking of the quote-unquote good news and the positive narrative, the mayor... And it seems like your office, your press office as well, you know, has expressed a bit of frustration about sort of the balance of coverage and, and the coverage of the mayor, the, the press coverage. And, you know, he 
often makes sometimes sarcastic comments when he's giving speeches about, you know, you won't read that in the papers or you won't see that on the front page because it's good news. What, what, where, where do you stand on that? Like, how do you see the, the coverage of the mayor? And is there not enough of that good news being written about and discussed? Sure, I think two things. I think one... I've never met a public figure, private sector or public sector, who felt like their press coverage was fair. Um, I think that's an inherently human sort of thing to um, be successful and to then uh, be upset when the judges don't um, share in your observation of that success, whether you're a mayor or whether you're a CEO or whether you're um, anybody else, frankly. Um, Two, I think because of the successes that I talked about, crime, housing, uh, the economy and all these things, education, I think that there is a natural tendency for reporters to, um, to focus on some trivial things that wouldn't normally be news um, if those other main pillars of government weren't going so well. If crime was up, if the economy was in the tank, if schools were... Uh, going the wrong direction and affordable housing wasn't being built, I think you'd see a lot less coverage of where the mayor works out. I think you'd see a lot less coverage of the mayor's, at times, uh, uh, hostile attitude towards some of the reporting and some of the sort of press questioning. So I think it sort of goes hand in hand, um, and I think it's a natural tension. I don't think there's any doubt that the mayor um, is not always in love with uh, some of the question and answer sessions with the New York City press corps, but I don't know that any mayor ever has been, um, dating back at least a couple of decades. And I don't know, most specifically, or uh, more importantly, I don't know that any mayor in the future will be. Um, and I think that's okay. I, I, don't, I don't see that as the end of the world. I don't think New Yorkers actually care. I think the press should be tough, and the mayor also is right to be um, protective of the progress that he's made. And also, I, you know, I think, listen, I think the mayor, if he didn't have an opinion of the New York City press corps, that would make him like the only New Yorker in the city who doesn't have an opinion of the New York City press corps. So, so tell us about a, t- a day in the life for the press secretary. What sure. does it look like for you? What does it typically begin and typically end? And, you know, where does it involve? It doesn't really have an end point. doesn't really have a starting point. It <laughs> doesn't really have days of the week. Um, it's a, it's sort of time is a flat circle concept of municipal governance. Um, it, it involves uh, digesting a ton of news um, and at the same time uh, managing uh, teams that are dealing with a ton of incoming from reporters on breaking news, on long-term stories, on investigative stories, on feature slice of life type of stories. Um, and then sort of folded into that managing the mayor's um, needs and concerns and challenges for that day, whether he's doing uh, events that require some preparation from our team, whether it's incorporating some of his thoughts and feedback into how we're responding to inquiries, um, or whether it's raising things for him that we think he needs to um, address at his level. Uh, it's sort of a, a soup of, uh, of constant crises and hurry-up-and-wait situations. So we would be remiss if we didn't mention the crises, crisis of today, which was the slaying of the police officer sure. earlier this morning. Um, in a situation like that, something you haven't planned, something that comes up uh, and is of a tragic nature, how does the press office react to that? How do you interact with agencies like the NYPD? Sure. We, for the most part, those sort of uh, serious crises moments 
um, require a certain amount of protocol and a certain amount of sort of advanced drilling to make sure we get them right, especially when they inevitably occur at 2 o'clock in the morning and people aren't necessarily in their battle stations like they would be in the middle of the day. Um, we interact very closely with the NYPD. They're typically the ones to reach out to us uh, in the moments after such an incident. Um, and then we start communicating internally with our team at City Hall and with the mayor to see whether uh, this is something that requires his presence somewhere, requires his words, um, or whether it's something that doesn't and whether we can handle it or some other administration official handles it. Um, and then once we have those sort of basic personnel posture issues sort of established and we sort of figure out what and who's going to be speaking um, about the issue, whether it's NYPD or whether it's FDNY or whether it's OEM in certain situations. What's that look like? Is that three, five, ten people on a conference call when an emergency strikes? Is that three, four, five people on an email together, you know, making those decisions? What's that look like? I would say it's anywhere from... Uh, four to five to maybe a dozen people on an email chain um, originally with phone calls happening uh, parallel to that process. My theory always is any email chain that's bigger than about a dozen isn't a real email chain with actual work product getting made. Um, so we try to limit it to a pretty core group of people making decisions and discussing alternatives and options. Um, but certainly phone calls are happening at the same time, and certainly the most efficient work gets done once we're um, at a scene of some sort, whether it's a you know, catastrophic fire or whether it's uh, in the hospital with the NYPD themselves. And just sort of to zoom out a little bit, is it that, you know, because we're here talking with you about your job and your work, is it that your press shop, you have certain people assigned 24-7 that are, you know, they're the on-call person in case something happens. I mean, it's a holiday weekend or, you know, things like that. Or are you basically a 24-7 person unless you've sort of blocked yourself totally off because you're out, out on vacation? I'm largely a 24-7 person and um, several other people on the team uh, get tasked in an on-call sort of scenario. Um, last night, for instance, a woman on the team responded, you know, at one thirty in the morning to the hospital, and um, that's kind of how it works. It depends on the scenario. It depends on the gravity of it all. It depends um, on the timing and what people are sort of up to in their lives at that particular moment, um, who gets dispatched to handle these situations. But regardless of who's sort of on the ground at that moment, they're in communication with uh, the mothership, so to speak, back at City Hall or, or wherever it may be. Tell us about a typical day, and, and getting back to that, and your media diet. I mean, obviously, you read City Limits first, and possibly Gotham did that second. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, depending on what we have. But, um, I mean, uh, maybe not so much naming names, but be nice. But how do you approach that? There's so much to absorb. What is your, how do you, how do you do it? How do you dive into that? There's no great system. I'm sort of a creature of systems and protocol, because I think that's the only way you can attempt to even try to do this job. Um, but, you know, planning is sort of essential, but plans are inconsequential. It's that paradigm. Um, I read stuff uh, starting, I would say, 5 a.m., 5.30 in the morning um, in sort of a daze sometimes. Um, <laughs> I try to front load the bad stories for when I'm in that daze. Um, <laughs> but um, it sort of goes from there. I don't, I'm not, I don't 
uh, it's not like the sort of old days where you pick up a stack of six papers and start going through them one by one. I sort of read clips electronically mostly. Um, I don't look at the art, so to speak, on stories until a little later in the morning, eight or nine o'clock usually, unless it's something I'm really concerned about. Um, you know, my basic adage is save the post for last because it's the most fun and it'll set me off on the best posture when I roll into City Hall that morning. Post. Yeah, no, of course, the Washington Post. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's no rhyme or reason necessarily. Some stuff, breaking news, we get sort of instant alerts. Um, you know, we've got some news gathering services at times now. There's like social media gathering services that, you know, will tell us about an incident like that happened last night with the officer almost before the NYPD does. So we're seeing a lot of sort of social media public reporting on stuff before we even see sort of conventional news reporting, which is a whole new uh, step in the digital age and in the sort of self-reporting age, which is kind of interesting. But I don't have a great but are you? But you're getting, you know, there's obviously like a lot of people in the media world know there's like a, you know, an e-blast that goes out to your folks internally that are the clips, right, that relate to city government and the mayor and all that, right? So is We that largely do them one by one, so each email is its own sort of its clip. Own story, you know? yeah. A lot of times, you know, I, I think this is one thing that's changed, I suspect, over the last couple of decades is, you know, we've been at, you know, hopefully, we've been sort of involved in a story before it lands to a degree... Um, that at least gives us some confidence as to what is going to be written. So, of course, there are times when I open up a story or click on a story that I've been involved in that I'm very much uh, eagerly uh, anticipating what the language will be. But a lot of times I sort of know what the language will be for the most part. I won't, nothing will catch me by surprise. So reading the clips or reading the papers often is like reading for stories that we're not that involved in, that are other things happening in the city at that particular moment that we should know about or that may affect something we're doing that particular day, but aren't stories that we were intimately... There's a lot of stories that, frankly, if I feel like I was really close to during the reporting process, I scan completely over because I feel like the reporter is a fair reporter and I pretty much know what, what they have written. So tell us about um, events outside the city. Like, sometimes the press office and the mayor react to... Um, obviously, when, there's a, when a cop dies in New York or there's a bus crash on the BQE, you react to that. But, you know, a terrorist attack somewhere is something the president does. What do you feel the threshold is for saying that's something the mayor needs to needs to be out about. How do you approach that when something from outside the five boroughs occurs that you think might be worth a, a comment? Our general um, construct is that if it affects New York City, which inarguably or arguably almost everything does in some sort of way, um, we like to have some sort of impression on the story for its value in New York City. Um, you know, when Donald Trump um, when the president uh, does its uh, his travel ban, uh, Muslim ban, um, or things like that that have a more national, potentially even global uh, sort of reach, um, the connection to New York City is not particularly acute, even though we have a couple of airports, it's not particularly acute, but the values that he's talking about when he does something like that are really important for us to respond to for the sake of uh, a whole uh, variety of communities living in New York City who deserve protection and support and, um, and deserve their mayor to speak out on their behalf. So it, it, it's, we sort of try to balance how it would affect New York City um, and then sort of the broader narrative is the second sort of plank of that. If there's a, if Donald Trump is talking about something that really doesn't have anything to do with New York City but very much um, affects, uh, affects uh, narrative 
that is important to civilization, frankly, is not, a, is not too much hyperbole to use in these, in these times, um, then the mayor likes to get involved in that because he feels like it's important to the progressive movement, to American democracy at times, depending on what the president is talking about at that particular moment. Um, but when you're working in a global city like New York, almost anything internationally and certainly nationally has some tie-in to what we're trying to do in a city of eight and a half million people. So it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty open field when it comes to what to get involved in and what not to. Does the mayor trust you? Does he take your advice? And what did you have to do to earn his trust? Um, I hope that he does. If you have it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, ho I hope that he does. Uh, I can't answer for him necessarily. Uh, but does he take your advice? He must have had some. He does. Over. He's he's um, he's a guy who very much um, surrounds himself with people who he listens to. I've been around a lot of managers and a lot of leaders who surround themselves with people who um, constantly uh, appease them or say yes to them or even challenge them in every sort of respect. I don't I don't think he's one of those. Uh, on one of those polls, I think he's somebody who surrounds himself with people who he trusts um, to help him do his job in a pretty effective way, actually, as a manager. Um, and I think you earn your trust sort of doing the job, right? I mean, it's, it's not a job that um, has any minor leagues necessarily or any training period or probationary period. I think my first day on the job was uh, the shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Um, that was my first morning. I think it was a Sunday. Um, and there wasn't any, okay, we'll pause this international or national, at least, uh, incident for Eric to catch up to speed on how uh, the mayor will respond to something like this. You just start doing it. And you have a lot of colleagues, like I have a lot of colleagues at City Hall around me who are just extraordinarily talented and help people get up to speed with something like that. And slowly by slowly, I think you earn, you know, a job like mine requires a very close partnership with the mayor and um, you earn each other's respect and trust. And I think it only gets better from there. If you don't have that, it doesn't really work. You, um, how do, how does it seem like he judges your performance? You know, what's sort of at the top of that? Is it how well you brief him before press conferences? Is it how the right timing and cutting off those press conferences? <laughs> is it, um, you know, is it what he sees you shaping the media narratives in the, you know, in the press? How do you think, you know, what do you th see at the top of how he judges your job performance? Or has he explained it to you? I think um, uh, he's never quite explained um, the algorithm that goes into it specifically uh, or in detail, but um, I think it's a little of all of the above. You know, there's an adage on political campaigns where you do um, 100 things and a couple of them work, but you're not really sure what couple of them they were. Um, and there's an element of my job that's very similar. Um, you know, I think as a communicator publicly, it's really important to be, um, to be able to do that, it's really important to be a good communicator internally with staff and with the mayor. And I think probably he prizes that more um, than most leaders and managers I've worked with in a very good way, in a smart way. Um, so I think briefing him and making sure he's prepared on issues is a really important part of my job. And then speaking clearly um, to the public and to press in a way that in many situations channels his thoughts on something. I mean, the worst, the worst situation that I could be in is if I said something that was inaccurate. Um, the second worst situation I could be in if I said something that's accurate but doesn't particularly reflect his values or thoughts on a scenario. So rule number one, be accurate. Rule number two, um, I'm representing him. It's my job to attempt to capture his voice and capture his reasoning on something and to... 
um, make that argument or deliver that information to the public clearly. Uh, it, actually, that raises a good point about the accuracy issue because, you know, where are the reporters who call you, but then somebody, you become a reporter, right, and go to the agency and say, you know, why did you blow up that dam? Or, you know, <laughs> what is the story of this program? How does, how does that work? You have these huge bureaucracies that are doing day-to-day -day stuff that's not talking to the press. How is it for you and your people to then turn around and, and get info out of the agencies? And how does that process work? How smooth is it? Uh, how do you know that you're getting accurate stuff? That's a good and uh, comprehensive question because it goes at the sort of core of a lot of what the press office does in City Hall. Um, you know, the reporters and the public see the sort of end product of, of, that, um, of that sequence. But before that happens, there's a whole lot of cross-checking, of challenging, of flat-out at times um, calling BS on agency um, or City Hall work product and content. Um, there's just a lot of times we're the last sort of line of defense before something goes out and we're the ones that have to say, guys, um, this doesn't make sense. That, how could our answer be this when all these other uh, facts suggest that it should be something else? Sometimes there's good explanations for it. Sometimes we've actually exposed something in the bureaucracy that is, uh, that is amiss on the policy level. That happens a lot, frankly. Um, so uh, we care a ton about what City Hall puts out is accurate. We also go to great lengths and spend a lot of time making sure that the agencies are communicating quickly, clearly, and with accuracy to reporters. And it's a little more difficult to control that. There's a couple hundred, maybe a hundred uh, press staff that we're overseeing at any particular moment. We're dealing with hundreds of stories a day, literally. Um, so sometimes that doesn't go as well as it should. Um, but I think the point is, um, as, the, as the sort of last uh, node in the sequence of public information, we knock down a lot of stuff and challenge a lot of stuff and make sure what's going out is quality controlled uh, to the best of our ability, at least. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. What makes the difference there? Is it is it that people, sometimes at agencies, are just not as experienced in terms of what, you know, the mayor's press office wants the the press and the public to sort of know and see or what what makes the difference there and are you filtering out too much are you are you you know are there agency people who are really sort of wonky and in the weeds and they give you lots of information that they think is important to share mm -hmm. and you sort of chop too much of it out because you're worried about providing too much information i think it's a couple of things one um agencies have a very important but also very narrow view of the entire playing field. Um, so while they may know their subject matter very well, they are often, I think, blinded by knowledge as sort of a lack for lack of a better sort of construct. Um, we try to help agencies communicate in a language that the public uses and communicate with a set of facts that the public will find important and helpful in living their everyday life. Um, sometimes the depth of what agencies want to provide is maybe not even strategically particularly smart, but also just not smart from a human consumption standpoint. Um, and City Hall sort of is looked upon as the regulator of that to ensure that information that's going out is actually useful and not too bureaucratic, not too, I don't know that wonky is the right word because we try to be as substantive as possible, but certainly not too um, municipal. <laughs> <laughs>
do you do you work foremost for the mayor or for the public? For the public. Public pays my salary. My job is to get the public information, usually using members of uh, the media, sometimes doing direct to public communications, whether they're from the mayor or from somebody else in the administration. But my my first job is the public. The public hired hired the mayor, and the mayor hired me. Does does that ever? Do you ever have moments where you're feeling conflicted about um, attention between sort of what the public should know and what the mayor? wants the public to know and wants the press to put out? I don't feel a conflict. I feel um, if if there, if I felt a conflict, I wouldn't do the job. If I felt a conflict um, between what the mayor wants to say and what the public deserves to know, um, it, it wouldn't be the right atmosphere for me to work in that situation. And I think my colleagues feel the same way. And I think that the mayor would say the same thing. Um, the mayor wouldn't want to put any of us in a position um, to be doing things that were outside of the public interest. Um, again, I'm not being uh, holier than thou about this whole process. We have a story to tell about city government that we think is a good story. We're certainly going to tell it in terms and in words and in uh, imagery that we think is positive because we think the actual story is positive. Um, but at the same time, I would never be in a job where I felt like I um, wasn't serving my uh, principal boss, which is no doubt New York City... Uh, there's been a fair amount of turnover in the press office over the mayor's term. I don't know how it compares to other mayors, but why do you think that is, and what effect has that had on the mayor's messaging? Do you feel like different folks who have stepped into different roles have had a, a, a different approach? Um, I do, and I think that's okay. I, I view um, some of that turnover, which I think is totally natural, and uh, the numbers are, are consistent with prior administrations. It's a burnout job, frankly. Um, you can only do it for so long before you've got to figure out something else to do um, from an energy standpoint and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I sort of view, I had two predecessors in this job, both extremely talented professionals. Um, and I think whoever has this job after me hopefully will view it the same way that we're building on each other's um, processes and effectiveness and successes and also learning from the things that didn't work. So I don't ever think a new press secretary brings with it um, a shift in focus or a shift in strategy necessarily, but um, they have the vision to say, well, the thing that my predecessor did, this thing worked, this thing didn't. I'm going to take the thing that worked, and then I'm going to start my own things, and whoever comes after me in this job will undoubtedly think that some of the things I do didn't work, and that's great, and that's how we succeed and keep getting better. So um, on the same theme, you know, everyone's always striving to improve. I'm working on my posture, as you can tell. <laughs> um, Evaluate the press in general and evaluate your boss. What's something that the media that covers City Hall could do better sort of systematically? And what's an area where the mayor's relationship to the press, his dealing with the press could improve, critique it constructively for us? Sure. Um, I think that there's a tendency, listen, I think the New York City Press Corps is the most talented, hardest working press corps in the world. I don't think anybody um, credibly would doubt that. Um, from Flattery will get you everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> from individual reporters to outlets themselves, um, they're the most aggressive, most professional, most sophisticated, uh, toughest to deal with, which is a good thing um, around. And that's a great thing. Um, I think there's a tendency, again, to sort of, in a, in when times are good, like they largely are right now, there's a tendency to fill that 
um, void with the trivial and with the sort of small-minded stuff that may get people to turn pages or click on stories and retweet tweets. Um, but I don't think it's particularly helpful for most New Yorkers. It scratches an itch that some people may have, which I get that some of New York City media is inherently entertainment media in a way, um, and we're the characters, unwittingly. Um, but uh, largely, New York City Press Corps does a great job. I just wish it would be, uh, at times, focused a little more on the um, long-term stories of sort of where the New York City uh narrative is headed at any particular moment on a variety of like weighty important issues to people's lives uh, if we were devoting a little more attention to those arc stories those long arc stories on education on housing on crime on uh, infrastructure and things like that i think um the public would be better served but again largely i think the press corps does a terrific job and and so and that sorry and, and the mayor <laughs> i was oh, hoping, yeah, right, right, I was hoping you, you were going to forget that one <laughs> um listen i think anybody um who has the mayor's job, whether it was Bloomberg or whether it was Giuliani or those before him, um, have a tendency to view um, the interaction with the press corps and the criticism of the press corps and the analysis of the press corps in a very personal way. Um, I think you guys would, I would. I think it's a natural sort of human condition. If I could um, program him as a robot every morning at Gracie Mansion and wind him up and send him out on his day dealing with the press and he would be uh, thoughtful and smart and polite and kind and funny and jovial and smooth and all of those things, of course I would, but he's a human. Uh, he's never uh, going to do that 100% of the time. I wouldn't do that 100% of the time if I were him. Um, but I think part of my job is to always at least try to get um, part of the press secretary jobs in general is to try to get the mayor in a uh, headspace that's at least more frequently than not going to produce something close to that. Um, it doesn't always work. It wouldn't always work if any of us were mayor either, but um, that's a sort of constant challenge. I think we'll keep going a little longer than, than planned for, <laughs> for a few more questions because uh, I'm enjoying the conversation. To get into a little bit of a sort of in-the-weeds topic that has been written about quite a bit, the mayor used to have this construct of sometimes he'd have a press conference and take questions, sometimes not. Sometimes when he would take questions, he would say only on this topic. Other days we do this topic of the day and then open it up. Mm -hmm. He abandoned that. Mm -hmm. There was a pretty bad-looking press conference that happened where he wanted to talk about the mansion tax. Reporters were asking him other questions, and he sort of walked off. After that, no more. What was that conversation like? How did that decision get made where you guys said, we're not going to try to do this anymore because we don't want other events like that? I don't think... I think there was a slight misconception of how that sort of unfolded. I also think there's a um, misconception about how much internally we um, debate and recalculate the mechanics of press conferences. We just don't. Um, do it all that much. We do it some, certainly, and a very, very, very uh, minimal portion of that process would involve the mayor himself, um, if any part of that process would involve the mayor himself. I think we're always looking for ways to get clear information to the public. And when there are scenarios where we believe um, some really important information that the public deserves to know um, will be clouded out by stuff that, in our view, is 
uh, more trivial and less important for the public to know, we're going to set up a construct with which the public has the best opportunity to get that information. Um, now, I think it's all important to remember that we do have a finite amount of time and uh, bandwidth and airwave, if it's not a good term, or print inches, and all of these conversations. We d the mayor's job isn't to take questions 24 hours a day. Nobody would want that. It's not a good use of his time. Um, so we have to figure out what is the best use of his time and what information is best delivered to the public and what they need the most during that time period. Um, if there's a situation with the mansion tax, I remember that press conference vividly, um, and all of us who were there do. It was a moment that will live in infamy. Um, there was a, a moment there during that process, it was like a week-long push on the mansion tax. We felt like it was an extremely important topic, and members of the press corps weren't taking it um, so seriously, and um, obviously it led to that altercation. I don't think there was a, um, a meaningful recalculation after that. I think... We're constantly recalculating, whether it was during the period of investigations. I think a lot of our postures changed since then, whether it was before the investigations um, and there were high-profile battles with Uber and uh, some degree the police department union. Our postures changed a lot since then. So I think we're constantly in a space of evolution, um, and I'm sure it will change in the months ahead and in the years ahead. Um, but I don't think there was a recalculation specifically around that event. I think it was a natural course of how we can get information out more clearly. Okay, well, I... You apparently disagree. I, I mean, uh, you know, that's uh, your job to, to frame it like that, I guess. Um, let me ask you about, you know, one of the things people have, have mentioned in the press, and you might disagree, is mm -hmm. that the mayor seems much more comfortable during his weekly appearances on... Brian Lara's radio show and Errol Lewis's uh, TV show. Uh, why that is, we could talk about. But I'm curious, that Errol and, and Brian are superb journalists and great interviewers. Mm -hmm. But given that it's a regular weekly thing, are there particular uh, ground rules or are there customs that affect that exchange? Is, and is that part of what makes the mayor more comfortable? Or is it no holes barred when he walked in there? I think a couple of things. I think, one, there are no um, ground rules. Uh, Errol and Brian are both, uh, as anybody who's watched or listened can attest, uh, extremely tough questioners who go to the thorniest of subjects every week um, right away. Um, and that's a good thing. I think where you notice probably some tonal shift or some comfort um, dynamic is um, they're longer, uh, more informal is not the right word, um, but almost more social dialogues going back and forth. I think they're less prone um, to the sort of adversarial, um, the mayor's taking on one reporter and then he's taking on a different reporter and then he's taking on a different reporter and then he's taking on a different reporter, which I think to any human would be sort of a grading um, process. So I think anybody in a conversational setting and a less adversarial construct than a blue room press conference um, would probably be a little more comfortable and a little more freewheeling um, than otherwise. And I think you see it on TV and you listen to it on the radio. I think those are very good formats for him. Um, and I think they would be for most people. It's not a comforting feeling to face, you know, 15 of the best journalists in the country um, peppering you with questions that could range from um, 
the big, grave, and important to the trivial, silly, and cargo short. I was um, wondering if you were going to use an so, example. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think I think we also, to be totally frank, find Errol and Brian's line of inquiries generally a little more weighty and a little more substantive than some of the exchanges with Room 9. Not always, but more often than not. And... Um, when you are prepping him for a press conference or one of those appearances, can you just give us a little insight into what that looks like? Are you noticing things on Twitter? Are you basing things off the most recent press coverage? Like, how do you figure out, I have, I don't know, 15 minutes, half an hour, a car ride, whatever it is to sort of give him, hey, you're probably going to be asked about these four or five things. A lot of it is gut. Um, it's sort of the adage of, you know it when you see it. You can pick up a paper or turn on the news um, and have a pretty good idea at this point. I've had this job for a year. Um, a lot of my colleagues have been in, the, in their roles in the press office for longer. Um, we have a pretty good sense of something that will become an issue or what will be news or something that is going to be news down the road. Um, that sort of instinct is a little bit inherent and a little bit learned. I mean, we get a little bit better at it every week, frankly. And I think reporters at the same time, it's a little bit of a... Um, dual maturation. I think reporters at the same time become better at an asking questions that might not be on uh, the radar. So as we get better, reporters get better, and it's a sort of circular uh, evolution. Um, but yeah, you can pick up the paper and sort of figure out where folks are going to go that day, or you know what reporters are working on um, and what they will likely care about. I think a lot of our job is predicting in that scenario, a lot of our job is predicting um, what reporters are thinking at that particular day, whether it's in their stories or in their sort of lives. You, we sort of know what reporters care about on a personal level, and that often, like normal humans, affects how and what they um, ask at the press conferences. Well, is there are there examples of that? Like what <laughs> that sort of <laughs> I'd be disclosing here. pretty serious trade secrets <laughs> if I let you know that. You just sort of have a general sense of what reporters are sort of observing and and how they feel about things uh -huh. part of our job is to stay in extremely close contact with reporters and part of the reason we do that um, is to better understand where they're coming from on stories and their life perspectives obviously uh, impact uh, both their reporting and how they feel about what they're covering and a lot of times I they just liked me Jeez, <laughs> everything. you you mentioned the New York Post before um, this has sort of been covered, so I don't want to talk about the New York Post, um, but the New York Times, I've noticed that it seems like your office is sort of frustrated, and obviously, you know, the Times has a huge amount of reach, um, and often the New York Times, at least editorial board and page, is sort of more friendly to the mayor than others. Mm -hmm. um, not that that always, of course, bleeds into news coverage, but you would sort of think that this mayor, with things going fairly well in the city and some of the things that he's doing, you know, the New York Times relationship would be pretty good. But it seems to, to not be great. Um, and I publicly, you know, you and other folks in your office have sort of expressed some frustration. What's going on there? Um, I think, that, first of all, I think the New York Times reporters themselves themselves at City Hall are extraordinary. Willie Newman is um, obviously a terrific uh, acclaimed reporter internationally and and at home here. Um, David Goodman's a guy with a ton of New York City experience and perspective and is a terrific writer and uh, certainly an in-depth reporter. Um, I think w the big problem with the Times coverage in 2017 is that the Metro page has largely been gutted and I think in its place um, 
or maybe perhaps uh, with that gutting, has been the fall off of substantive uh, trend um, municipal government reporting and activity in the city. It's been replaced by sort of trivial, oftentimes day-to-day, sort of microscopic either TikTok or sort of day in the life of or sort of um, really minute progressions in some sort of narrative that is like typically a tabloid stream of coverage that the Times will adopt, whether it's the gym that the Times is obsessed with or whether it was the helicopter use a while back that the Times thought was like the scandal of, you know, the 21st century. Um, it's just, it's, it, it's gotten smaller and a little sillier. Um, is that a big concern for the mayor? I don't think it's a big concern. I think he's upset about it. I think as a guy who's probably read the Times every day for you 30 know, years, 35 yeah. years, um, he expected more. Um, I think he expects more. And I think it's a little, it's sort of a little depressing to everybody, um, me included. I don't, I don't think that's a, I don't, I don't think anybody that would close, any um, person who's actively involved in civic society in New York City and, and certainly in municipal governance or politics would say that the New York Times' coverage of those spheres is as good as it used to be. I don't think anybody could credibly say that. Who's doing it well? Who's doing it well? Who's doing well? You know, is there, is there a publication that you feel like is, is and obviously don't name either of ours, but, you know. <laughs> City Limits is, and Gotham Gazette come to mind, actually. No, but, I mean, are there, are there, is there a publication where you don't feel like it's too trivial right now and there's, and there's substantive reporting happening that, um, you know, you think is a model? I mean, I think everybody study the press. You know. I actually think every outlet does a little bit of it, and every outlet adds to it. I don't think there's an outlet that totally escapes their responsibility, and I don't think there's an outlet that totally captures their responsibility. You know, there are good reporters at the Post who do really good, especially day to day investigative stuff on you know bureaucratic waste and misuse and all that kind of stuff. That's really important reading and really fun reading sometimes too. Um, the Daily News does extremely good investigative stories on agency work especially and on fundraising and on things like that in politics that are really important for the public to read. You know, the Times obviously still does a tremendous amount of important reporting, especially on the issue of homelessness. You know, Nikita Stewart is a terrific reporter. Um, and, you know, you guys, both of your outlets do great uh, sort of civic work on really the minutia of what's happening in city government that I think a lot of other places have sort of moved away from, which I think is... Um, filling a really important void in this space. And then, of course, uh, you know, the TVs are um, an animal of their own and have some of the best reporters in the world. You know, Marsha Kramer is a master of her craft and serves the public like nobody else. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I think everybody adds a piece to what needs to be there. Nobody's doing it entirely and nobody's, um, nobody's leaving it alone entirely. Thankfully. Last question for me, you, if you have one more after that, Jared. The, the mayor's relationship with the press corps has been pretty rocky, up and down, some good patches, some less good patches. Um, I think you've expressed already what you think the press could do to improve that, right? What, what can the mayor do to improve the coverage and the relationship? And is that sort of on the agenda or have you guys sort of reached a place where you feel like we're in a very sort of steady this status quo and if we're elected for a term two, we probably, you know, this is just how it's going to be. I don't think, I've never bought into the, um, I've never bought wholeheartedly into the belief that there's something wrong with the dynamic between the mayor and the press corps. The press corps is aggressive and analytical 
and appropriately so. The mayor is aggressive and analytical, and appropriately so. The twain don't need to meet um, every day, and they don't. And it will probably be true of the next mayor. Certainly, it was true of the last mayors. Um, so I'm not. I don't. I don't wake up every morning saying, "How can we make this better? How can we fix this relationship?" I um, I wake up every morning trying to figure out how to be fair to reporters, get them what they need, and, and do the same to the public, and try to help the mayor uh, communicate with uh, the most complicated, comprehensive, crazy city in the world. Well, Eric Phillips, you wake up every morning thinking about how to be fair to reporters, and we wake up we wake up every morning hoping that you succeed at that. But, uh, <laughs> thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Eric.